0: Welcome to Beyond Politics, broadcast on WKXL and available wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Matt Robeson, and today, January 20th, when we're releasing this show, marks the one-year anniversary of the inauguration of President Joe Biden, and that's led to a flood of appraisals, of grading, of evaluations from pundits and pollsters and commentators, and the reviews that have come in have mostly looked like limping, sluggish, Troubled, even failing. And I think that is totally insane. I published an article today that appears on the outstanding website, the editorial board, and also on Alternate and Raw Story, that basically says the first year of Joe Biden's presidency deserves only one grade, A. Now, I know this is controversial. I know that not everyone is going to agree with me, and that's fine. But I wanted to at least make my case. So I was invited onto the show hosted by legendary West Virginia radio broadcaster, Howard Monroe. I frequently appear as a political analyst on his show and he asked me to make the case. So here's the show with Howard Monroe. And look, if you disagree or if you agree, let me know what you think. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at Matt L. Robeson, R-O-B-I-S-O-N. You can also find us on the Beyond Politics Facebook page. It's Beyond Politics with Paul Hodes and Matt Robeson. So let me know what you think. And now here's Howard Monroe.
1: You know, in the early days of Donald Trump, you used to hear the analogy of a fire hose, that there were so many scandals and ridiculous things coming out. It was like it was like a fire hose just shooting all this stuff out. And you can't catch any one of them because the fire hose is just pushing everything out. And I always wondered, let me get your take on this before we get into the other stuff. I always wondered, you know, where we are in America today, where we are in questioning the very validity of elections, even though they've been verified in every way, manner, shape, or form. It it, it all comes back to we have in the last four years specifically, before that as well, but we have lost belief and respect in institutions, in the press, in politicians, in our electoral system. And Donald Trump is a huge player in that because he denigrated everything that was standard norm and in part of America. I've often wondered was it a game plan or did it just happen that way? Is this is it just the way Donald Trump was and as a result of Donald Trump being Donald Trump, all of these institutions lost their respect and authority. Did he plan that, do you think?
2: I don't think he planned it. I think he he's opportunistic and he he actually said this. I mean, with Donald Trump, his id lives on the outside. So, you know, he's he's basically a walking set of internal desires that he, he voices out loud. <laughs> he always says the quiet part out loud, like, hey, Russia, if you're listening, do a crime with me. Hey, Ukraine, do a crime with me. So this is this is not exactly a master of subtlety. And he said that when he goes to rallies, he just sort of listens to where the applause is. He listens to the audience reaction. And if they're vibing on something that he's saying, he does more of it, and if they're not, he does less of it. And I think that's basically it's like when they do. Have you ever seen in a movie or a TV show they do dial testing of a focus group? They actually do it on CNN during during debates, and you know you just see oh the audience likes that, oh the audience doesn't like that so much. So intentional. That sort of suggests to me that there was a preconceived strategy. I don't I don't think we can quite say that when it comes to Donald Trump. I think that. He is very good at reading the room, and he knows and, – and one of the things about social media – forget just the rallies. One of the things about Twitter – and, again, he said this out loud as well. He said it on the record – is he would just send as many provocative tweets as he could, and then if something started to get reaction, he'd do more of it, sort of like the super disruptive class clown you know, if, if if he gets a rise out of the teacher, if he gets a rise out of the other students, he's going to do more of it. So, no, I, I don't think it was all an intentional strategy. I think he just saw that this kind of thing got a reaction and all he wants is the attention. All he wants is the engagement.
1: But he has succeeded in, in, in creating a great distrust of almost every institution in this country among the people who are following him which is why we're in the position we are now where we have huge numbers of the Republican Party at least saying they believe the election was stolen and saying they don't believe basically in democracy and so on. Um, it didn't happen on his first day in office, but it was there by the, end, by the last day. At least that's, that's my take on it. However, yeah, yeah. however, Donald Trump is no longer president. Will he be again? That's an issue for another day. He's no longer president. Joe Biden is president. And we are now, at 8.25 in the morning on the Watchdog Morning Show, we are now, this day, one year into the Biden presidency. It was a year ago today he took the oath of office. And I've been asking people all week long, Matt, how's he doing? How do you assess this first year in office? We hear an awful lot of negative things, certainly coming from the right, but we also hear a lot of questionable concerns coming from the left as well. So I ask you, sir, how's he doing?
2: I've been thinking about this a lot. Off the air, you, you let me know that you wanted me to appear this morning and, and you gave me a hint of what you were thinking about, what you wanted to ask. And so I thought about it. And I thought about it so much that I, I reached a point where, you know, I'm kind of running down the economy and foreign policy and healthcare. And I'm thinking and I'm, I'm thinking about what's gone well and what hasn't. And I reached an epiphany, a, sort of a moment of clarity, which was, I have bought into the wrong question, not your fault, because everyone's asking this question. It's natural to ask this question. It's an anniversary. How are we doing? You take stock. But I realize that in a way, it's a trap. And you see it in the coverage this morning. You see it in the pundits and the pollsters who come out with verbs, limping, struggling, even you know a big poll where the pollsters say, Gosh, a lot of voters describe him as failing. My reaction to this is, have you people lost your minds? The only answer to the question, what grade do you give Biden's first year in office, is A plus. And any other answer is inherently ludicrous. And I'm happy to tell you why. And I know that this is provocative. And I know that listeners are probably like, well, well hold on a second. I, 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 I think if you really think it through... I feel pretty clear about it, and I've written a whole article. It's on Alternate, Raw Story, the editorial board, fantastic publication, the editorial board. And I, I feel pretty good about it.
1: So you are giving. So we've, had, we've, we've talked to several of our other political reporters this week. One gave him a B minus, one gave him a C minus. I put him in the B category. You're going an A plus for Joe Biden with all that this happened. You're going with an A plus.
2: Yes, I'm going with an A plus, and I'll tell you why. If you ever did, you like the show The West Wing. Love The West Wing. I can quote
1: every episode, chapter, and verse to you.
2: One of the one of the great episodes involved the idea of when the press asks you a question, and you're the press secretary. We've all kind of, if you're interested in politics, you've always imagined. What would you say if you're up at the podium and the press asks you a question? And the discussion is about on the, on the episode is about don't accept the premise of the question. Because sometimes the underlying thinking, you know, the question itself is a, is a trap. So I don't think that the premise of the question here is quite right. And I think we've all been kind of suckered into not thinking about it correctly. And actually, you started off this conversation on exactly the right note which is how much we have been, had our brains renormed by scandal over the last 18 years since Howard Dean's scream was, you know, such an outage back then. I just invite our listeners to go back, think back to where you were mentally. It's really hard, but think back to the second half of 2020 and we are almost 4 years into what I describe in my editorial board alternate article as a water cannon of lies, 30,000 documented lies from Donald Trump, a cabinet full of grifters and thieves. I, I provide links to everything that I'm saying here, so you can do your own research and do your own homework. I've I, I tried to do as much for you as possible. The, the, the COVID denial, which we know was totally deadly for thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of Americans, the child separation policy, the whole Helsinki incident where Donald Trump kind of bent over and licked Vladimir Putin's boots. The, I'd like you to do us a favor, though, first, abuse of office that led to the first impeachment. The, some very fine people on both sides out of Charlottesville. The list of outrages, Amy Siskins' list, the the, the weekly list, where she cataloged every outrage. The fact that he launched the China trade war, which economists estimate cost us 300,000 jobs and $300 billion. The multiple instances of racism, the disaster of the pullout from Syria, the Paris Accord, we pulled out of that. The whole Doha agreement with the Taliban, the Taliban, which that's what analysts think was the ticking time bomb in Afghanistan and was largely responsible for many of the problems we saw there when President Biden tried to pull out. Let's not forget the tsunami of Republican federal judges, the whole RBG, McConnell, Barrett swindle the big lie, the way we ended up with an armed coup attempt, and ultimately the second impeachment. I'm not even going to try and make listeners go through the exercise of what would the world look like now if we were living in a second Trump term, but I do do that in the article, and I invite them to check it out. My point is, this leads me back to the analysts, the pundits, who are saying, "Oh, Biden is limping. He's struggling. These people are kidding, right? Do not accept the premise here. Joe Biden could be doing literally nothing. He could be sitting around his office all day. He has saved us. We've saved ourselves because we're a democracy. We made this decision. We voted him in. By voting in Joe Biden, we have saved ourselves from going off a cliff. And that in itself is deserving of an A+. plus. Everything else is gravy.
1: And that, That's an interesting approach. I certainly agree that with all of the Donald Trump comments you make, and if you draw the comparison, there is no comparison. I, I, would, I would not disagree with that.
2: That's basically right. I'm, I'm saying that a year ago, we were all trapped in a flaming car speeding to the edge of a cliff, and Joe Biden sprayed us with a fire extinguisher and slammed on the brakes. So I'm not sure that the next logical question we should be asking is, but isn't it driving a little slow today? I, I think that we set out to do something, which was to save America. We did it. And any conversation that doesn't start with, you know what, we, we pulled that off. We literally saved the country is really missing the point. I'm happy to thereafter engage in the, all right, all right, we acknowledge that and he gets the A plus, but let's, let's dig in a little bit in kind of a more traditional, but in a mature way. I'm willing to do that. Although that's full of trapdoors too.
1: So he gets an A-plus, and I guess I can't disagree. He gets an A-plus simply for being the president and not Donald Trump being the president. But it does seem to me as if Biden himself and his, the Democrats surrounding him have set up some additional standards they they wanted to accomplish. They have set up for themselves some other markers, which means, leads me to one of the comments I mentioned I like this week. Mitt Romney said this week, that he thinks what the Democrats have forgotten and what Biden has forgotten is that Biden was elected to, and I love this phrase, he was elected to stop the crazy. He wasn't really elected to transform America, to deal with voting rights, or to make us a more climate-better country and so on. He was basically, and he's right, he was basically elected to stop the crazy. And that's what makes him a good president, which I think is what you're referencing but then we have to ask ourselves. But what? It's the old old phrase, Matt. What's he done for us lately? Okay, he stopped the crazy. Now what? What's he done for us while he's been in office? And, and maybe I, maybe nothing is maybe nothing is a better example than just yesterday, when uh, he and the Senate Democrats failed to revive the filibuster and failed to pass this key voting legislation that they've set up as a you know a, a major standard for their success
2: i think we're all in danger when we when we engage in this whether we're coming at it from the right or the left of falling into the but what about her emails trap which is to say we sort of yada 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 the the big good stuff and get to the what about so let's let's break it down For just a second, and I think you know it's totally legitimate to talk about. Hey, we we didn't get the voting rights stuff done. That's a very particular case to to talk about. But I I mean, I think the biggest example of this is probably the economy, right? Right, right. So here's a situation where I know there's you know you can parse these numbers lots of different ways, but we Joe Biden in his first year in office created the most jobs in history, over six million jobs, and. Consumer confidence is now high and rising. Most economists agree that the economy is doing much better today than a year ago and much better than they expected. We, and what you hear is, okay, 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 but inflation, but, but there's inflation. Yes, inflation's been high and it's lingered longer than expected, but clearly. Most things have gone really well in the economy. A few things have gone poorly. That's not like a bad economic record. That's not a sign that no one's hand is on the tiller. This is a strong economic record. And we're getting the, but her emails, but inflation. Inflation is a big deal. Voters have every right to feel anxious, upset, and irritated about it. But we end up talking about the but part. We don't talk about the the big headline story here. And what you need to do in the current media environment is, and this goes back to my Mark Jacob interview on Beyond Politics, former editor, Chicago, Sun-Times, Chicago Tribune, some of the biggest newspapers in America. His point is that nowadays editors have to apply a truth sandwich to everything. You have to start out by giving the non-distortion up front. The economy is mostly positive. Most signs are positive. Most consumers agree that it's positive. There is one glaring problem going on right now that you sandwich in the middle and then you finish with, but economists do feel like prospects ahead are good as well. So I, I, that's that's my take about most of the things that we could talk about. We could talk very specifically about the failure of the, of the voting legislation, but I think that that kind of thinking can and should be applied to all of these buts that you hear about the performance of the Biden administration.
1: But, but why is his opinion, why are his uh, 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 popularity ratings so low? He's among the lowest president at this time in their presidency of anybody. Why, why is the public perceiving him so badly if you think
2: he's an A-plus president? That is, that's a great question, and I think that we're all in danger of being hornswoggled by this idea that, well, you know, it's the voters who say that, that he should get a failing grade or voters who are giving him a low approval rating. Giant flaw here, giant flaw. First of all, if you look at recent polling, so for example, Politico and Morning Consult do a poll, and they ask the approval question in the form of grades. And you find 37, the headline here, 37% of voters are giving Biden a failing grade. Wow, that's a lot. Well, not really, because most of those, if you look down into the numbers, most of those people are Republicans, and we're in the most polarized time in American history, certainly in living memory. And yes, Republicans hate Joe Biden. Well, duh, man bites dog. We know that, we know that story. And so- To to see a reflection of, yeah, there is just, there is an absolute ceiling on how high his approval can go, because you're going to start out with 90% of Republicans saying that they absolutely hate the man. That's that's not that surprising a finding. The other problem with approval ratings is that they are a very, and I think we've talked about this on, on this show before with some of the problems and misunderstandings about public opinion research. Approval ratings are a very, very blunt tool for understanding what people think about presidents or about politics. Any pollster worth their salt will tell you that that's not a serious assessment of an elected leader's performance. It's a mirror. What voters hear when you ask, do you approve or disapprove Joe Biden? What voters hear in, in the poll is, are you happy or unhappy right now? And yeah, with high prices, and the Omicron wave, voters are understandably very unhappy right now. I'm not that thrilled with how things are going either. And so the tool that voters have for voicing that unhappiness right now is to tell pollsters, I disapprove. I'm unhappy. And they give low grades and, and low approval. So it's not really the right instrument to measure has the president. Performed well, especially when you consider the context that he is going to start out with about forty percent of the American public saying they disapprove of him, no matter what.
1: Well, there are public expectations that I think sometimes I'm thinking about the president's press conference yesterday, two hours or so, answered all questions, did it well, you know, didn't come across as feeble, senile, anything. And the fact that I'm saying that is making my point. At the end, the, many of the commentaries were. Well, hmm, he made it through two full hours and didn't seem to be failing and didn't seem to be running out of steam and seemed like he was intellectually alert. The simple fact that he made it through somehow became the news. Well, look at this. He made it through a press conference because the expectations of him are are so low because of, I don't know what, because of where where the media is and so on. I, I mentioned Mitt Romney earlier, and I've been quoting him by the I do not agree with the conclusions Mitt Romney drew after he began with the stop the crazy line, but I like that, that Biden was elected to stop the crazy, not to make any big transformational change. He was elected to stop the crazy. The other um, commentator, uh, Matt, that I've been quoting this week is Jim Carville, James Carville, 18 years ago in New Hampshire. I interviewed, as a matter of fact, when I was in New Hampshire. James Carville is saying Democrats need to stop being, and I quote him, The whiny party. Stop complaining all the time. Stop talking about the things they haven't done and start talking about the things that that they have done. Get out there and fight and tell people what you did, not worry about what you haven't gotten done. Would you concur with that?
0: A hundred percent,
2: and it goes exactly to this point. I mean, you know, for Pete's sakes here, the Democrats and Joe Biden have passed the biggest and most meaningful legislation – in Joe Biden's first year, in living, me- I, I, I mean, I can't underscore this enough. We are talking about the American Rescue Plan and the Infrastructure Bill, which has led directly to these truly historic economic gains that we're seeing, lifting three million American children out of poverty. You know, what scandal it is that there are 11 million American children in—you know what being in poverty means? Get how low the poverty line is. And we've lifted 3 million children out of poverty. And we finally invested in, I mean, infrastructure. I, When I was a congressional staffer, I used to staff the Transportation and Infrastructure Committee. We were 15 and 20 years ago, those of us who were experts in that area were screaming about how dilapidated our nation's infrastructure was and how important it is to our economy and our way of life. And we finally got it done. We've gotten all these things done. By the way, the most judges appointed since the Ronald Reagan administration um, reversed the assault on the environment at the agency level, which has done more for the environment than any single piece of legislation in living memory, although the infrastructure bill did a good start, ended the European trade war, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so, yes, James Carville is totally right. I, I think it is, c- it is true that Biden and the Democrats are guilty of over-promising and under-delivering. You want to reverse that. You always want to reverse that if you can. And they set high expectations. I do think in the case of the voting rights bills, that was a little bit of a gambit. And I want to credit the writer Jonathan Chait in New York Magazine for pointing this out. One of the things you see with voter suppression tactics from these Republican state laws that they've been enacting, is that at the end of the day, they usually don't succeed in lowering voter turnout. Why? Because Democrats are able to successfully use them as a motivating factor to get voters to turn out. Republicans do something to take away people's rights. People react angrily and with more enthusiasm to vote. They show up and it makes up for the difference. So to some degree, yes, of of course, it's bad that they failed to overcome the filibuster and pass those bills. But it also is probably tactical. It's probably intentional. They're trying to give themselves a, a, a cause to run on. They're trying to give their voters something to motivate them in 2022. And that may be worth it. I think you've got a new Newsweek piece up. Yes. I do. I have a new piece in Newsweek. Just just Google it, Matt Robeson Newsweek. And and the hint is we're actually able to win this voting rights
0: war if you look to the states. So, so check it out. All right.
1: Appreciate it. Talk to you soon. Thanks a lot.
0: That's it for Beyond Politics. You can find us wherever you listen to your podcasts. And remember, it really does help us out to hit that follow or subscribe button.